Good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to the well here at STSA, an ordinary place where extraordinary things happen. That's what we say every week right here. And the reason that we say that is because the hope is that when ordinary people come to an ordinary place like this, but they have a living encounter with the God of heaven and God of earth, that it no more is an ordinary day, an ordinary thing, but hopefully extraordinary stuff happens. And I'm praying that happens for all of us here today in this series. If you missed last week, part two of a series called Building Blocks, talking about how to build a life of prayer. And one of the things that we talked about last week, which we'll get into more today, is in this series about prayer, if I ask, if I were to ask and take a survey of how many people know the importance of prayer and know the benefits of prayer and know that they should pray and how many people in fact want to pray more, everybody would raise their hand. But why is it that something that we all yearn to do is something that we do so little? Like how can it be at the same time that prayer both attracts us in theory, but repels us in practice? Well, that's what we're looking at here in this series and hopefully we're trying to get an answer. And let me just throw one, one answer right off, like right off the bat. This is not a valid answer. The reason we don't pray more is not because we don't have more time. It's not because we're busy. It's not because we have too much in our schedule. We're throwing that excuse out because everybody has the same amount of time and everybody has commitments and everybody has stuff. So I think there's something deeper into why it is that we know so much about prayer, but we pray so little. And I think what we need to do when we're doing this series is we need to reframe prayer and I change our mindset about it. So here's our theme verse that we looked at last week and we'll look at it every week in this series. It's Revelation chapter three, verse 20. I like to go interactive these days. I'm in an interactive mode. So let's read this all together. So hopefully if we read it for six weeks in a row, it'll stick in our brain together. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What we're doing in this series is we're reframing what prayer is. Prayer is not an end in and of itself. Prayer is a means to an end. That's why our key statement, our takeaway that we looked at last week is that prayer isn't an act we do, it's a home we build. Prayer isn't an act we do, it's a home we build. The goal isn't to pray to say I prayed. The goal is that intimacy with God, that communion with God, that dialogue with God, that I sit with him, he sits with me, he guides me, he gives me what it is that I need because I know he's got it. The goal is to get that from God. And prayer is just the context in which that happens. That's why the house is a good analogy. Your house, your goal is not to have a house. Your goal is having a place where your family can be together, eat together, share together, play together, dine together. Like the goal is what happens in the house. The house is simply the context in which it takes place. And prayer is the same way. We need a life of prayer, not because we need prayer, but because prayer is the venue. Prayer is the means by which we meet God. I told y'all last week, if we're talking about prayer as a home, as the famous expression goes, if you build it, he will come. And if we build prayer right, if we build this thing called prayer, that will be the place where God comes and meets us and we meet with him. And that will be the greatest blessing in our life, the source of our strength, the source of everything. So what we're doing in this series is we are trying to figure out how to build that home properly. What I said last week is that if you're building a house, you have different rooms in the house to accomplish different purposes. You have a kitchen and it's designed to look a certain way because the purpose is cook and eat. You have a dining room and the design is different because the purpose is host. You have a stove.
study, you have a bathroom, you have a family room, you have a living room, you have a bedroom, you have a basement room, you have that room in the house where you store all your junk. Like you got a different room for every purpose and each one has a unique, specific way that it's built matching its purpose. Prayer is the same way. What we're gonna do over the next five weeks, starting today, is we're gonna look at five different kinds of prayer. And these are not, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but these are five kinds of prayer, five rooms that you need in your prayer house if God is going to come. And today, we're gonna start with the funnest of them all. The simplest, the easiest, which is simply simple prayer. Raise your hand if you were in life group this past week. Raise your hand. How many people are in life group? All right, that's fantastic, fantastic. Okay, so my life group. Okay, my life group, we were meeting, we were discussing the same stuff y'all were discussing. So let me ask you if you had a similar experience in your life group as I had in mine. We were discussing the benefits of prayer. Okay, because we were taught one of the questions was like, what would your life look like if you prayed more? What are the benefits of prayer? I can't remember exactly how it was phrased. And everyone was saying like, you know what? If I prayed more, I'd have more wisdom. If I prayed more, I'd have more joy. If I prayed more, I'd have more peace. Like all the stuff that we say that we want, if we prayed more, we'd have all these benefits from it. So then the question is, again, as I said a minute ago, so if that's the potential benefit. What stops us from praying? And again, it's not a matter of time because you have enough time to binge watch whatever show. You have enough time to go work out when you want to work out. You have enough time to craft the perfect tweet in 120 characters or whatever it is nowadays that's both poignant and witty. Like you have enough time to do all those things. You have enough time to pray, but there's something about prayer that even though we desire it so much, we resist it so much as well and we do it so little. Well, I think I, I know the answer of that, of what it is, at least for me and I think for all of us. I think the problem is we are a high achiever society, especially in this Northern Virginia, DC metropolitan area. We are a high achiever society. We place great value on productivity and getting stuff done. And we like it when at the end of the day, okay, we do all do the same funny little ritual and some of us enjoy it more than others, but we all do it, okay? And if you brought a, a, a Martian from the moon or from Mars and he came down and watched us, he would think it's funny, this little exercise, this little ritual we all do. We all do the same thing. We create lists. Some of it's electronic, some of it's on paper. And lists can contain anything in the world that you need to get done. Do the laundry, take out the trash, do my taxes, call my mom, like whatever it is, that you need to do in, the, in your week, in your day, you create a list of all the things. And then here's the secret sauce of the list. You put a little empty box next to the list. And that little empty box next to the list becomes like more addictive than heroin. The desire, the, 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 the feeling of satisfaction from putting what inside that box? The check and nothing. It's better than winning the World Series and the Super Bowl combined to be able to get to the end of my day and look at my boxes and derive immense satisfaction from checking stuff off. I remember when I was in college, this girl, I thought she was nuts, okay? I thought she was absolutely crazy. She used to, during finals time, get so stressed out. She had the list, she had to buy her bed and she would write down all this stuff. One of the things on the list was sleep and then it was wake up. So she would like check off and then go to sleep. And I imagine her like get anxious to get up, pop out of bed and click off that thing that says wake up. Like this is what's become of us because we love to get stuff done. The more checks, the more we feel like I made a difference in society today. Why? Because I checked off my list. I got my list done. It doesn't matter what's on that list. Makes us feel good. If that's our mindset, prayer 
is very inefficient. Prayer, whether it's two minutes, or four minutes, or eight minutes, or 15 minutes, in the end, at most, it's a check. And let's be honest, we finish that two minutes, four minutes, six minutes at the end of prayer, and then we look around at the world, and it's exactly the same, and we look at ourselves, we're exactly the same, we look at everything around us, and it's exactly the same. Last week, I was telling you that I was going to collect in life groups obstacles to prayer. And many people sent me, these are the things that are obstacles. And so many people, so many people wrote an obstacle to them praying is, it just feels so pointless. So many people said that, that it feels pointless because it feels like I did it and everything's exactly the same. So what difference does it make if I do it or don't do it? Like, let me not pray and go check something off my list. Let me at least get a check or two out of this time. And we feel like prayer isn't getting anything done. If we go to a Bible study, check, we learn some new information. If we do some kind of volunteer activity, check, you know, we fed the homeless or we served, you know, whatever group of people. If we go to church, we got communion. So we feel like something was accomplished. But what if I say stand up and pray? What did that accomplish? And then I say pray more. I say why? I prayed this morning and nothing happened? Why pray again? And I think it's this high achiever mentality that gets us into trouble with prayer. I think the problem with prayer isn't what we're doing. I think the problem is what we're expecting. The problem isn't what we're doing or not doing. The problem is what we're expecting. And when we go to prayer, our mindset too often is that it's a task to finish. It's a subject to master. It's a to-do to check off. And we need to reframe that. If prayer was truly a task. Like if prayer was, you march into God's office, say, God, listen up. Here's what we need to get done today. One, two, three, and you do this, and I'll do this. Not in an arrogant way, but in a like, let's go, let's get stuff done. Hey, we'd all pray if that's the way prayer was. But you know, if you look in the Bible, the picture of prayer is the exact opposite of what I just drew. The picture in, of, of a prayer in the Bible is not walking into God's office and demanding stuff to get done the picture of prayer in the Bible is a child to come to his father and say, dad, I got nothing. And say, dad, I need help. Here's the picture of prayer in the Bible. First Peter chapter five, verse seven. It says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. Notice it doesn't say cast all your care upon him because he gets business done. He can take care of business. Doesn't say cast all your care upon him because he can check off more boxes on your list, get you help. It says cast all your care upon him and nothing may come of that, but that's your heavenly father. You know, in other translations of this, will say, cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your weakness on him. Cast all your fear on him. And one, one writer said it so eloquently, I put it in your handout for those who have it. I said, he said, to pray means to be weak and naive, and that's why we hate it. To pray means to be weak and naive and need help, and that's why we hate it. How does this play out practically? Let me draw you a picture. And if you have been part of any life group, okay, or any kind of Christian group, small group setting, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're in your life group, you're discussing prayer, and then comes that dreaded moment at the end where it's time to wrap up and someone is going to get called on to pray. Time for someone to pray. So what you do, because you dread praying out loud, so what you do is you start to fiddle, you check your phone, you <clears throat> no eye contact. No eye contact 
the person who's about to make this critical decision of who's going to pray. No eye contact. Then all of a sudden you hear your name called. Hey, you, would you like to pray? In your heart, you're thinking, shoot, no good. Dang. But out loud, you got to play it off. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you do next? You stop thinking about any, everything in the world. Doesn't exist. Now all your mind's on one thing. I got to prepare a good prayer. I got to get ready. Okay, I need a verse to incorporate. Okay, I heard this verse last week. Let me throw that one in there and see if I get it from this translation. You know, I, I need a cool name of God because the people who pray, like, like, you know, like what's her name? Lori last week just said, kept saying father, 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 like so repetitive. No, no, no. I heard this cool name of Jehovah Jireh. I'm going to incorporate that somewhere in there. That's a Greek and a Hebrew and something like that. And I'm going to go Bible and I'm going to go names and I'm references and I'm going to go page number, not even just the reference. I'm going to go the page number that I was in and I'm going to knock this prayer out. And then you know what? I'm even going to find a way to incorporate the poor kids in Africa. Like somehow I'm going to sneak that in there. And I'm going to knock this prayer out. This is going to be the best prayer. I'm going to kill this prayer. And then you utter the most eloquent, sophisticated prayer in the world. A prayer that was so good that you got four moves. You know what the moves are? Okay. Someone who was new to church. Okay, started attending church, hadn't been to church in a while, said, hey, church is cool, and like these groups, things are cool, but what's with the mooing? Mooing? What's the mooing? He's saying, anytime somebody prays, someone goes, mmm, mmm. The mooing, the Christian mooing, it's part of Christianity. Your prayer was so good, you got four moos while you prayed. Was that a good prayer? What defines a good prayer? Length, eloquence, moves. Good prayer isn't measured by length or eloquence, by sincerity and vulnerability. Good prayer isn't measured by length or eloquence, but by sincerity, vulnerability. And so y'all get this. Parents, get this. Parents, God listening to our prayers is the equivalent of when our kids bring home those dumb art projects from school. Kid brings home the art project from school, and it looks like nothing. Can't tell you how many times kid come home with the art project, and I say, "Oh, that's a nice little monkey," and he say, "Dad, that's you." Okay, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, you know," and that's you know my toenail. No, that's a tree. Okay, you know that's fine. And what does every parent do when you get these dumb art projects, no matter how dumb they look? What do we do with them? We put them on the fridge. We say, oh, little Picasso. You know what I mean? Like little Rembrandt. And we stick it on the fridge, even though we hate them and everyone else hates them. There's only one criteria to get on my fridge with your artwork. It has to be your artwork. Like you can't bring me Tommy's little monkey. You can't bring me what Joey drew for his parents. I don't want it as a piece of art, but if it's yours and it's sincerely yours and you did it, no matter how stinky it looks, no matter how awful to the sight it is, if it's yours, I like it. If it's not yours, throw it away. I think God is the same way with prayer. If the prayer is yours, it's acceptable. If it's sincere, it's acceptable. If it's something where you came, no matter how ugly it was, and you in vulnerability and in weakness said, God, this is all I got. And that's yours? That's the best. But don't bring me Tommy's prayer. Don't bring me little Joey's or little Susie's. 
Don't bring me Father Anthony's prayer. Bring me your own. And if it's yours, acceptable. And it's not yours, get it out. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We must lay before him what is in us, sincerity, vulnerability, not what ought to be in us. All of us, again, so many people wrote on their obstacles to prayer that they don't feel ready to pray. They don't know what to say. They don't feel like they're, they're able to generate anything that's worthy of God. Look, every single one of us, inside of us, we have selfish and unselfish. We have pure and impure. We're all a mix of good and bad. We're all a mix of focus and distracted. There ain't nobody who is, is always unselfish, always pure, always loving. There's no one. All of us inside of us have good stuff and bad stuff. And the goal of prayer is not to only find the good stuff, but to bring whatever it is inside and throw it on God's altar and say, God, this is what I came home with from school. This is what I did. This is what I got. And if it's yours, God says thumbs up and he puts it on his fridge. And if it's not yours, no matter how great it may be, it's not worthy of God's fridge. Jesus said it this way. John chapter six, verse 37. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. The one who comes to me, the one who brings me his artwork, I will by no means throw it away as long as it's his artwork. Did you know that you can pray about just about anything in the world and it's pure and acceptable in front of God's eyes as long as it is meets one criteria and that is sincerity that it's truly what's inside you. So here's our definition of simple prayer. Okay, we're starting off easy. The easiest kind of prayer, hence the name simple prayer. Simple prayer is simply this. It is ordinary people bringing ordinary requests to an extraordinary father. You don't need to be extraordinary. You just need to be ordinary person. Check. Bring ordinary requests. Check. To an extraordinary father. And that is acceptable in God's eyes in a way that you will never imagine. What's on your heart today? What's on your heart when you get home from work? What's on your heart when you wake up in the morning? That's what God wants. I'm frustrated. Frustrated is great if it's sincere. I'm stressed. I'm afraid. I'm anxious. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm worried. As long as it's sincere. Do you know you can even pray about dumb stuff? Like you can pray about dumb stuff. You pray about the weather. You pray about, about, about why your football team messes up the quarterback situation again. Like you can pray about anything. Anything that's on your heart or on your mind. You can bring it before God and you say, no, God doesn't care about this. God doesn't care about that. That's silly. That's children's stuff. Parents, let me ask you this. If your child is, cares about something, even if it's nonsense, even if it's silly, you care about it because you care about them. Not that it is important, but because they are important and this is important to them, this becomes important to you. Not because it is intrinsically important, but because it's important to someone who's important to me. And that's how God looks at prayer. That if it's important to us to be worried about, if it's important to us to, 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 to occupy our thoughts and our heart and our emotions, that it's important enough to pray about and bring it in front of God. Now again, some of us, you're listening to what I'm saying, you're saying, Father Anthony, this doesn't sound very spiritual. Isn't prayer supposed to be more worshiping God? Not talking about myself. Isn't prayer supposed to be like praising God and thanking God? And, and like what you're describing, Father Anthony, that's like what we teach like kindergartners. That's like the, the, the stuff that you teach. Isn't 
we teach the little kids? Like, just say whatever is on your heart. Thank you, Jesus, for my shoes, or thank you, Jesus, for whatever. That's what we say to the little kids. But we're adults now. Two things I'll say to that in response. Number one, I'd rather be too childlike than too adult-like when it comes to anything in spirituality. That's a rule that you always keep in mind. You'd rather be more childlike than more adult-like when it comes to spirituality. Trust me on that when it's in the scriptures. And number two, I would rather err on the side of pray about too much than too little. Like if I had to go one extreme or the other, I would rather God say, hey, you know what? Father Anthony, like enough. Like you just pray too much, Father Anthony. Like it's just too much prayer in your house. Like it's just too much. Like take a break. Like take a commercial. Give me a break. So I, I would rather hear that and God say, turn it down than what I think he's most likely going to say about the majority of us. Which is, I don't know why they didn't pray more. Here I was, standing outside the door, knocking. All they needed to do was lift their heart. And I was ready to come in. If they'd have prayed for that relationship, I'd have come into that relationship. If they'd have prayed for that situation at work, I'd have come into that situation at work. If they'd have prayed for what was going on inside, tempting them, what was troubling them, what was anxious, if they'd have prayed about it, I'd have walked right in it. But I didn't. Because they didn't. They didn't build a home for me. And therefore I got stuck on the outside. St. Teresa of Avila says, there is no stage of prayer so sublime that it isn't necessary to return often to the beginning. Now, with that said, we're going to look in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, at some examples of simple prayer. Because this is the most common type of prayer you'll find in the Bible. You will not find structured prayer, like there is structured prayer, but the most common prayer is people in whatever situation they're in, just lifting their heart to God. And I'm going to show you some situations that you didn't think you were allowed to pray for. And I'm going to show you some very spiritual people who prayed some very unspiritual situations of what they talked to God about. First, let's start with Moses. Moses was a stud. Moses was part of the Red Sea. Moses was 10 commandments. Moses was 10 plagues. Moses was all about shepherd the people of God and bring the people of God who he loved, help them go from slavery to freedom. But Moses, they had some times there where he got a little frustrated with the people of God. And he got a little annoyed with them. And listen to what happens one time when the people kept complaining and Moses had had enough with these people. Numbers chapter 11. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? I mean, like, why are you done this to me? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? When things were good, it was always, you know, the people were, were God's people and it's a pleasure to serve you. But now all of a sudden, it's why you put these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to a land which you swore to their fathers? Watch this now. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. You didn't know you're allowed to pray for your own death because you're annoyed at God's people. But that's what Moses prayed. Thankfully, God didn't answer the way he, the way he asked it. Next prayer, a guy named Elisha. Elisha was a man who did more miracles than anybody else other than Christ. Elijah did more miracles than anybody else. And there was a time where Elisha, apparently Elisha was a little follically challenged, okay, up in the head area. And one time Elisha was walking down the street and some little hooligans started calling him out and calling him baldy, baldy. Watch what happens here. Then he, Elisha, went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him saying to him, go up you bald head, go up you bald head. 
Go up, you baldy. Like, go ahead, baldy, 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 baldy. What does man of God, man of prayer, do next? Man of God prays. How does he pray? So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. This will make me encouraged to pray. Like, I read this story, and I'm like, man, I had to pray more often. Like, prayer is good stuff, all right? You don't mess with a man of God, okay, and you're the female bears. That's great stuff, okay? Last one, we'll go New Testament, in case you're saying Old Testament versus New Testament. The disciples, the 12, the guys who Jesus said, these guys are going to judge the nations. The guys who we say we are an apostolic church in the apostle, like, these are the top guys. Look at them in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 53. They had just left a city that didn't treat Jesus very nicely. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said very casually, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Like very casually. Like these people weren't very nice to us. We go fire and brimstone or you want to go earthquake? Like what do you prefer, Jesus? That was their prayer. Whether it was Moses, whether it was Elisha, whether it was the apostles, these seemingly unspiritual prayers did not stop them from praying very spiritual prayers later on. Like what I'm saying is this simple prayer right here didn't show that they were beyond hope. It showed that they were sincere and God accepted their sincere prayer. He didn't do what they said. I'm not saying say what you want and God is gonna, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is God accepted them in sincerity and honesty because they brought their request to their father. With that said, let's go very quickly practical how we want to do this practically i have three practical tips to keep in mind i'm going to challenge you this week to pray simple prayer throughout your day okay and i'll get to that in a second but i'm just so you know in advance the challenge for this week is that you are three to four times three to four times is nothing three to four times 30 seconds 60 seconds like less than a time less time than it takes to go check your facebook status or to play you know crossy road one more time see if you can get across like less than one wasting time at work that's all i'm going to ask you to do three to four times a day and before i challenge you with that and tell you exactly what it is let's go through some tips okay to keep in mind here's the first tip on simple prayer strive for uneventful not mountain moving strive for uneventful mundane ordinary not mountain moving in other words like what i want to say very nicely very nicely don't try too hard and everything in spirituality don't try so hard you would think that i as your priest would say the opposite try harder work harder put more effort in yeah, I agree we need to put more effort in, and I agree we need to try harder. But I'm saying don't try harder to manufacture this, I'm going to pray this prayer, and the earth is going to shatter, and the moon, and the star. Don't, 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 don't. Go for uneventful, not mountain moving. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think we so often avoid when if I say we're going to have a prayer meeting? Why do we avoid that? If I say we're going to go on a retreat, why, do, why does that make us cringe? If I say we're going to spend a good time in prayer, you know why we, why we avoid that? Because it creates this pressure. There's so much pressure that I have to like go on a retreat 
gonna like get this message from God and it's gonna change the world and change everything. And we create all this pressure for ourselves. And then we like go on a retreat, we twiddle our thumbs. We don't know what in the world we're doing. And then we come home, we're like, you know what? That was an absolute failure. We think it's a failure because the mountain didn't move because the earth didn't shake underneath us, because tongues of fire didn't come down, because we have this idea that everyone else who prays gets tongues of fire like, like it was in the Bible, and I don't get that. I must be doing something wrong. Again, someone wrote this as one of their obstacles. They said, one of the obstacles to me praying is thinking prayer always has to be grand, eloquent, long. If that's your view of prayer, that every time has to be mountain moving, you're not gonna do it very long term. It's too much pressure. I go on a date with my wife. We've had many fantastic, eventful dates. We've had many more that are just run of the mill, common, ordinary. We have a fun time together. Our life doesn't change. We don't like, you know, sacrifice a child on the altar. Like we just ordinary hanging out. We go watch a movie. We have dinner. We play a game, like whatever it may be. And sometimes we do have those eventful, like, like life altering dates together, those times together, but they don't start that way. They're not planned that way. It's a boring, ordinary night, sit on the couch and watch a TV show or do whatever it may be. And in the midst of that, the earth shakes, but it's not the plan. And I'm worried we create too much pressure for ourselves that we can never match it. If I thought every date with my wife had to have the pressure of the best date ever, has to be the best date ever. Like it has to be the date above all dates. Every date, I would, I would avoid it because it's too much pressure. And sometimes we do that prayer. Look at this verse from Psalm 131. Here's what simple prayer is all about. King David, my heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. I told you all this expression last week. I'm taking it from Father Daniel was here three weeks ago. He said that we should be better at wasting time with God. And I love that expression. We should be better at wasting time with God. Simple prayer is simply wasting time with God. Don't strive for eventful. Strive for uneventful, not mountain moving. That's number one. Tip number two, start with consistent, not long. Start with consistent, not long. Don't worry about length. Worry about consistency. Three to four times spread throughout the day is better than one hour-long chunk. Again, we, again, in life group, someone said in life group, can't I just save up all the prayer and just do it all in one shot? Like, can't I just, you know, save up all the prayer? Like, if you want me to pray, you know, uh, 10 minutes a day, can I just do it all and just do like 70 minutes at the end of the week? My response to them was, okay, but then I want you to do the same thing with your meals. Meaning what? Meaning, instead of eating throughout the day, just save up all the food that you're going to eat from Monday through Friday and just eat it all on Friday. And it's the same way when it comes to prayer. Aim for consistent, not for long. Let's say you're not, you never run before. You want to get into running. One of your goals for the new year. How should you start? Who thinks they should sign up for a marathon? I've never run before. I get tired going up and down the stairs. I'm going to sign up for a marathon. This is a recipe for A, injury. B, hating running for the rest of your life. So who thinks that if you're new to prayer, hey, let's go all night prayer vigil. That's the way to start. And then somebody will tell you, you want to pray? Come to this all night prayer vigil. And it's going to be like heaven on earth. And you say, if it's heaven, they don't have no chairs in heaven. 
Like, I'm going to get a couch in heaven. Like, why do we have to stand up all night? Like, I want you to start slow, and I want you to build up. And I'm going to challenge you. Here's the challenge for the week. I'm going to challenge you to three to four times throughout this week. I'm sorry, three to four times per day throughout this week to pray. Simple, short, whatever's on your heart prayers. And here's what I did this past week as kind of a guinea pig. I set an alarm on my phone, three alarms, to ring throughout my workday. Random times, not like 9, 12, 3, like, you know, like 9, 18, you know, 12, 36, or whatever it may be, you know, and 3, 11, or whatever it may be. Just set the alarm to go off at those times, at three or four times throughout your day. Just let your alarm go off, and whatever you're doing, stop what you're doing, lift your heart to God, and say what's on your mind. I'm telling you, this simple exercise made a gigantic difference in my week. I can't tell you the difference that it made. Like, I don't want, I don't want to make it like I'm over exact. I don't want to like, but trust me, it gave me the feeling. I'm very good, by the way, with consistent, like next week we're going to talk about structured prayer. I'm very good at structured prayer because that's a checkbox. So I'm very good at like praying at the set times. I'm not as good at this. And what I'm telling you is someone, I'm very good at the structured. I think this, this made a huge difference for me because this gave me the feeling that, you know what? Here I am and I'm preparing my sermon. It's on Thursday and all of a sudden the alarm goes off. I said, you know what? Well, I want to say, God, please help me to focus on this sermon preparation. Like, that's it. Just live my heart. And you would think the one area that you would think to pray more is while you're preparing a sermon about prayer. But you know, I lift my heart to God and I say, God, help me. I'm going in this meeting with my CEO, with my boss. God, just give me the right thing to say. Like, that's it. And all of a sudden you feel like, you know what? You're not alone. Like here I am and I'm holding God's hand and I'm bringing God with me to the meeting or actually better, God is bringing me to the meeting. And it can do wonders in your day. Start short. The other thing that this is very good for, the other thing this is very good for, is it helps you to take a temperature. It helps become like a barometer for where you're at throughout your day. That you pause and you say, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm not doing all the stuff that I said I was supposed to do. I'm not being very loving right now. I'm not being very kind. I'm kind of being stubborn. By the alarm go off and you're going to pray. It's very difficult to pray when you are in one of those moods, okay, where you're just in a mood. So you have to come out and you have to say, you know what? I'm not in a good place right now. And you know, St. Anthony has a beautiful quote right here. He says, we, calling on the name of Christ crucified, chase away all the demons you fear as gods. I wonder how many of those demons, I wonder how many of that temptation, how much of that temptation that plagues me and that brings me down. And at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I feel so bad about myself. I wonder how many of those, if I simply lifted my heart in the middle of that temptation, I wonder how many of those I would have overcome. Start, aim for uneventful, not mountain moving. Start consistent, not long. And third, speak to a father, not a judge. Going into prayer is not going into the principal's office. It's not standing before a judge who's going to ask you where you were at this time and how come. It's not being called in because we're in trouble. It's a child. Go to his father. The most thing I can liken it to is a kid going to Santa Claus. Okay? And it's a kid walking up on Santa Claus's lap. And that Santa Claus is only there to give, 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 give. And we know Santa Claus. Like, we're not talking about Santa Claus. You know what I'm trying to say. As we go up on Jesus' lap, and he's not there to say, 
Where were you at this time? Why is your Bible dusty? How come you didn't? It's not. It's coming to our Father. And it's speaking to our Father with whatever it is that's on our heart. In this world, we classify people. We do. We don't say that we do, but we do. That's a good person. That's a bad person. That is a rich person. That's a poor person. That's a sinful person. That's a saintly person. We classify people. God only has one category. Child. That's it. So God, what do you see when you look at that person? Child. What do you see when you look at that person? Child. How about that one over there? Child. The only category he has is child. And everyone who comes to him doesn't judge. Doesn't say good, bad. Doesn't say rich, poor. He's his child. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. As fathers, we love our children when they're successful. We love our children more when they fail. We love our children when they're on top of the world. But when they're at the bottom of the mountain, our heart aches even more for them. And I'm saying there's no situation you can't come to father. I'm disappointed in myself. I failed and failed and failed and failed again. Father picks me up. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because I thought I'd gotten past this sin. And I'm frustrated that it came back. Father picks me up and says, go get him next time. It's time for us to stop facing whatever it is we're going through in life alone and bring God into it. You know, did you know that even if you're angry at God, you can pray. Even if you're angry at God, even if you want to yell, you know, you can yell at God. You know, yelling to God is not necessarily a bad thing. And I always say this. I say this about our church. I say this about my children. I say this about everyone in life. I don't mind if you complain to me. I mind when you complain about me. So you're going to bring the yelling to me? Well, I'm ready. I'm ready to fire back. Like, let's go. I appreciate that. Much better than when you go around and tell the whole wide world without coming talk to me. God doesn't mind when we complain to him. He minds when we go and complain to others about him. And for some of, for some of us, I realize this simple prayer thing. I realize it, it's not easy. Because some of us were raised so formal and so structured that we think that unless we come to God with a formula, that it's not acceptable. Well, let me, I'm telling you, that's great. And you have your formula that you thank God, and then you praise God, then you confess, like whatever it may be, like that's great. But what happens when you're not feeling thankful? What happens when you're not feeling appreciative? What happens when you're not feeling that good vibe? Can you pray then? That's when you need prayer the most. I love the way James says it in James chapter five, verse 13. He says, anyone suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church that, that they would pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. He's saying no matter what situation you're in, turn to God and pray. When you read the New Testament, one of the things I love seeing, I love seeing how Jesus went to so many different places. Jesus, anywhere he was invited, he would go. One time Jesus went to the house of a tax collector, about as dirty a place as you can imagine. Loathsome, tax collectors were traitors. They were turncoats. And Jesus went and visited that place. Jesus went to a well in Samaria, in the middle of nowhere, at the hottest time of day. 
to meet one lady. And it was not appropriate. Like all the social norms he broke by going to this one well. One time Jesus went and party into a wedding in Canaan Galilee. He wanted to have a good time. And he turned the water into wine and everyone had a good time. One time Jesus went to a place of death, a grave, where a man named Lazarus, who he loved dearly, had died. And the place was so full of death that everyone said, Jesus, you can't go inside there. It stinks in there. And Jesus went in. If Jesus could go in that place, he can come into your house. He can come into your life. There's no situation, there's no place that Jesus looks at and says, no. Tidy up and then invite me back. There's no place that he looks at and says, no, 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 I can't go there. My dignity, my honor, I'm God. I can't go there. He says, I'm father. And if son needs me, if daughter needs me, I'm there. You're frustrated, I'm there. You're disappointed, I'm there. You're discouraged, I'm there. You're angry, I'm there. You're tempted, I'm there. You failed, I'm more there. Boy hit the home run, good job. Boy struck out, come here, let me give you a hug. If Jesus could go to all those places, why can he not go with you into whatever situation you're in? Jesus, from the time he was born, showed that he's willing to go. He was born in a smelly, stinky stable. He lived as a poor, good-for-nothing carpenter, lowest on the totem pole. He spent his life with peasant people. Peasant people. He was not in the high social class. He was in the low social class. And everywhere he went, people, he was surrounded by people who were rejected. Surrounded by people who were alone. Surrounded by people who were afraid. And I'll one-up the ante. Jesus himself was all of those things as well. So when you invite Jesus into your fear, your discouragement, your rejection, your aloneness, you invite him to a place that he's already been. I love this verse from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. I loved it so much, it became my memory verse for this past week right here. This is a great verse to memorize if you struggle, okay, that you feel alone. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Simple prayer. Ordinary people, ordinary requests to an extraordinary father. There's no situation that's too smelly, that's too bad, that's too far, that Jesus wouldn't go in with it, in you, in it with you. The challenge for this week, three to four times a day, three to four times a day. You want to be a real go-getter, you go five times a day, but they have to be short, no long. Three to four times a day, you set the alarm on your phone starting Monday morning. The alarm rings, you put down what you're doing, and you lift your heart wherever you're at. You feel alone, tell God. You feel afraid, tell God. You feel like partying, tell God. However it is you're feeling, and I promise you, the impact it will make on your day, I promise you. This series is about how to build different forms of prayer to ultimately a balanced prayer life. A lot of us will be tempted to think other prayer forms will be more important than this. This is the children's stuff. This is the stuff we teach kids. We'll be tempted to think that, but I'm telling you, a house 
cannot be built without the family room. This is the family room of the house. You can't have a house without a family room. You can't have a house that's all formal rooms without that room that you just kick back and relax. Well, if you're going to have a prayer life, then you need to make sure the first place you put in is a place, a room where you can kick back and be sincere and vulnerable and honest and weak with God. And that's what simple prayer is all about. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. And we know, Lord, our prayers are pathetic, they're distracted, they're selfish. But you, Lord, as a good Father, you love to hear like our hearts. And we don't even know how to respond to that, Lord. Because we always feel like you want to hear us, and we so seldom want to spend time with you. But Lord, I pray this week you'd help us to understand this, this idea of simple prayer and, and to be able to lift our hearts throughout the day and just bring to you not like fancy words. Get rid of like this idea in our minds that we have to pray fancy. Help us to pray sincerely and vulnerably to our Father who's in heaven. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.